Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Uh, We are looking today... Uh, at Romans 12, verses 9 to 16. And the first message of this series was on love. This is another message on love. Today's title is Let Love Be Genuine. The first message we looked at kind of what what love is. Now we're going to look at genuine love in practice. What does it look like to practice genuine love? Here's the main idea of our our time today. This is what I want you to go away with. If you remember one thing, this is what I want you to remember. God wants us to love each other genuinely because we're family. He wants us to love each other genuinely because we are family. Verse 9 says, let love be genuine. This is Romans 12. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is Good, like Mary J. Blige, Paul wants real love. He wants us to love each other genuinely, a love that hates evil, a love that holds, holds fast to what is good, a sincere love. Paul wants real love because he knows pretend love is real. He calls for genuine love because pretend love is very real. Just think about Judas and Jesus. Judah, how does he betray his boy? With a kiss. Genuine love needs to be our aim because pretend love is real. See, when it comes to love in our church, there's no faking it till we make it. That's just not an option. It has to be real, genuine love. And today, what I want to do is I want to show you a few things about the person who practices genuine love. Here's the first one. This person lives a life of affection, respect, and service. Verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This phrase, love one another, could be translated, be devoted to one another. As a church, we're supposed to be committed to each other. There's a, there's a real relationship. We're not just walking out of it quickly. And we're supposed to relate to each other in this warm, friendly, affectionate way. The way a, a mother relates to a new child. That is how we are to relate to one another. And this text does a couple of things. Well, and the, one of the things it does is it tells us the right way to think about our church. It tells you the right way to think about our church, that we are family. We're not just a group of people who gather together from time to time. We are a group of people brought together by God to love God and be together for eternity. Do you realize that? The people in church with you, you're going to be with them forever. So if you have some beef, you better work it out now. Together for eternity, loving God. And this is where our main idea comes from. 
God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are, you say it. Okay? A couple people said it. So we'll just try it again. God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are family. We are family. That's right. That's, it's in the text. Brotherly affection. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo each other in the way you show honor. So, so what this means is when somebody in our church does something great, you acknowledge it. You promote them, not ourselves. Like my uncle would say, we big each other up. We're willing to acknowledge the good things that people do. We give people the respect that they deserve for the hard work that they put in. And you know what happens when you do that? When we're willing to show honor one another, and the text says outdo one another. We're supposed to work at it. We're supposed to be over the top with it. What it does is it shows that you are not in rivalry with that person, that your love for that person is real, that you're good with seeing them succeed. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Our passion for God can die out. Our passion to serve God can become weak. We get tired, whatever it is, but we cannot let that happen. We are not to let this passion that we're to have for serving God die out. Now you're like, how do you do that? Well, it's in the text. Watch this, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. What Paul's saying here is we are to allow the Holy Spirit to set us on fire. The passion for serving God comes from the Spirit of God. We have to live this life of dependence on the Spirit. That's why we're to ask the Spirit, fill me again. In the text where it says that uh, you are to be filled with the Spirit, when you read it in the Greek, it says continue being, being filled. That's what's going on. Over and over. We're not just filled with the Spirit once. We're over and over asking the Spirit to fill us. Why? So we can passionately serve our God. And when we serve God, loving God, and serving him, do you know what happens? Our brothers and sisters benefit. When you put effort into serving and loving God, you benefit because you grow. And others benefit because they grow from your efforts. It's a way to love. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in Prayer, the person who practices genuine love lives a life of hope, patience, and prayer. Hope, patience, and prayer. Paul says here, rejoice in hope. Now, the concept of hope in the Bible is different than how we think about hope today and how we use it. We hope for things that may not happen. We hope that we find a parking spot at the mall. We hope that we won't get mauled by a bear if we go camping. And the fact that you might get mauled by a bear is why you shouldn't go camping. Amen. You can't get me in the woods. That, that's a real possibility. We hope for good weather. We hope the person we ask out, we hope the person we ask to marry us, that they say yes. We hope for things that we're not sure if they're going to happen. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something totally different. It's talking about something that is certain. It's talking about the promises of God that will always happen. And let's just review those for a minute. 
what God promises to us. His promise to finish his work in us. He who began, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. The, the work that God starts in us. Some of us are like, I feel like I'm not growing. I feel like I'm here. I wish I was really here. Yes, you're not where you are exactly yet, but God is moving you along. The work is going on in you, and the work will be finished. I've used this illustration before. God is not like us. We start a book, and we put it down. Ten chapters, we get to chapter two, and we're bored. When God starts something, he finishes it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He'll finish his work in us. His promise to make all things new. The world won't always be a mess. There won't always be viruses. There won't always be strife and disunity. There won't always be politics, which can be so annoying. You can tell by how that came out. There is a time coming where there'll be harmony. I heard somebody pray earlier that all our tears would be gone. That there will be unity, not strife between people. God is going to make all things new. Things are going to get right. I'm going to have hair. That took a while to set in. All things are going to be made new. That should fill you with hope. A whole bunch of people should have been like, amen. Things aren't going to always stay this way. And then his promise to bring us into full fellowship with him and with the saints. Think about this. There's going to come a time where we are going to see Jesus face to face. And the Bible says when we see him, we'll be made like him. Full fellowship, full access to God, no separation. And then we're going to be with the saints. Isn't there a couple people in the Bible you want to talk to? Like, I want to talk to Job. Like, bro, how did you do it? How do you get to the spot where you say, yet, even if he slays me, yet I will praise? How do you do that? I want to talk to Peter. Didn't it bother you how everybody just kind of, they beat up on you all the time? That you were the guy who just couldn't control yourself? Don't you want to talk to Jesus? John says that if we put everything that Jesus did, the books couldn't contain. There's all kinds of stuff we don't know about Jesus. Think, I'll be cutting the line to get to Jesus. There's all kinds of things I want to talk to him about. And think about saints who have passed away. People who we know, people who we love, people we know love Jesus. They'll be raised up. We will be with them. In trials and tribulation, in tough times, these are the things that we are to believe. These are the things that we are to go back to over and over, reminding ourselves. These are the things we are to say to one another. Why? Because in doing them, they help us to be able to rejoice in hope. Our hope is certain. In doing these things, they'll help us to be able to be patient in tribulation. The struggles aren't going to go on forever. It helps us to be constant in prayer. The amount we pray, the amount we pray will depend Sorry, our ability to rejoice depends on the amount that we pray. I want you to hear that. Our ability to rejoice is dependent on the amount that we pray. He says we are to be constant in 
prayer. Now, this doesn't mean you just walk around praying all the time. It means that we are always ready to pray. Like Allen Iverson's crossover, like Michael Jackson's moonwalk, like Jermaine's yes, Lord, when he's singing. This is our go-to move. It's what we do. It's our thing. It's breathing for us. It's our go-to move. Prayer reminds us that our, fa- our Father helps us. We talked about that last, last week. Prayer reminds us that we have a Father who helps. Prayer reminds us that our hope is certain. Prayer reminds us that our troubles will end. There should have been more amens than that. Let me just say it again. Prayer reminds us that our Father helps. Prayer reminds us that our hope is certain. Prayer reminds us that our hope is certain. Push through the masks. I know I don't have one, so you're like, lucky you. And prayer reminds us that our troubles will end. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The person who practices genuine love lives a life of blessing, empathy, and humility. Blessing, empathy, and humility. Verse 13 says we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. When somebody in the family is struggling, we are to help them. We are to do what is necessary to help them out, whether they need food, food, clothing, and shelter. The early church, they got this. In Acts, it says, all who believed were together. See that there? Family, together, unity, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When they saw a need, they did what was necessary to help meet that need. One of the ways that we love each other genuinely is that we're willing to give so others can have. We're willing to sacrifice so the need of somebody else would be met. That is genuine love. And here's something we have to remember. If we have the ability to help someone and we don't help them, that's a problem. And you're like, where do I get that from? This verse. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need or sister. So the Bible's saying, if you have something and you see somebody in the family, they're in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So the Bible's saying, if we have the ability to help someone and we don't, consistently, then it's, it's, we should look and say, am I actually a believer? Because there's somebody in the family and they're struggling and I'm ignoring. And it says, little children, let us not love in word and talk. Do you see it? Fake love. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Real, genuine love, a willingness to sacrifice 
a willingness to give so others can have. And then he says, seek to show hospitality. That word seek tells us that hospitality takes intentionality, that we have to work at it. See, in Paul's culture, hospitality was really important because it's not like our culture. There wasn't hotels. There wasn't Airbnbs just around that you could sort of just hop into. When you came into a town in this culture, you relied on Christians. When a believer came to a town, they relied on another believer to provide a space for them. To show hospitality to them. Hospitality takes thoughtfulness and generosity. Richie Perez, he says, we should show hospitality to one another. As sisters and brothers in the faith community, God calls us to share with one another generously. And welcome other people into our lives. Think of that. When we're being hospitable, we're saying, come on in. Get to know me. Let's get to know one another. When God, sorry, where am I? Into our lives. Hospitality deepens Christian community. So when we take that step, we're walking into something deeper. When God is thinking of hospitality, the first person he has in mind is not our friend or people who we are familiar with. So don't just invite over the people you like. Don't just kick it with the people who are already friends. He's thinking of the stranger, the person with whom we are not familiar. It's about loving strangers in the same way we love siblings. See that? Family. That is what we are after. God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are family. We are family. And when we're hospitable to each other, we're showing we believe that. I believe that you're not just somebody that I see from time to time, but that you're a family. And we invite them into our home. Maybe right now in COVID times, that's just inviting them to your front step. We invite them out to lunch. We invite them into our friend group. When we're being hospitable, we're on our way to that family vibe. And that is what we are after as a church, these deep relationships. And yes, it can be uncomfortable at times. And yes, it can feel awkward in the beginning. But as we push through those things, it becomes easier. And all of a sudden, you're like, I love these people. Some of the closest people with me and Kimmy, we, we can't even, there was like the first step and we're like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. What if they stay too long? We're, I'm just being honest with you. Your pastor's not perfect. And then they come over and you, and you just you start, start talking, you start getting to know each other. And maybe they're in the car saying like, I hope we don't have to stay too long. See, I'm not perfect, but neither are you guys. So you're on the other side too. But you start to feel like you hear the stories, you hear their life experiences, they, you're sharing back and forth, and then you just start, to, you just get lost in this friendship, and you're like, I don't even know when we became friends. So yes, it's not easy, but we are to push through so that we can get from that feeling of like we're strangers to the feeling of family. Those are just my kids over there. Just pay attention to me. They made me lose my spot. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not 
curse them. Now, as you read that verse, you should say, how do we do that? How do we do that? We live in a time where, like, persecution is only going to get more intense, I believe. And so we should ask, how do I bless someone who persecutes me? How do I bless someone who hates me because I love Jesus? How do I do that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He says this. Love your enemies and do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That's how you do it. You pray for them. This one says Luke, but it should say Matthew says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So in Luke and in Matthew, Jesus tells us the way to bless people who persecute you is to pray for them. And you know what you pray? You pray that God would forgive them. You pray that God would save them. Prayer is an act of love. Prayer is an attempt to turn enemies into family. And that is what we are to pray. Yes, this person is mistreating me. And my flesh wants to retaliate and go after them. But I'm going to do the spiritual, spirit-led thing and pray that God would save them and change their life. Verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Life has ups and downs. That's what a, that verse 15 should tell you. That there's times of rejoicing, there's times of weeping. And when people are up, we are to rejoice with them. We talked about this in the first message in the series, celebrating their success. And as we celebrate their success, it's a way that we protect ourselves from envy. We believe God knows what he's doing by blessing and giving that thing to that person. And then he knows what he's doing with my life. And when people are down, we are to be right there with them. When they're up, we're celebrating. When they're down, we're with them. Again, beautiful example of this, the life of Jesus. He shows up, Mary and Martha are crying over the death of their brother. And you know what Jesus does? He just weeps. He weeps with them. He just cries with them. He knows what he's going to do. But before he does anything, he joins them in their grief and in their struggle. He weeps with those who are weeping. And that is what we are to do. See, sometimes the best thing you can do when somebody is hurting is not throw cliches at them. They don't need that. It's not even to try to pretend like you understand what's going on. It's just saying, you're weeping, I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to meet you right in that spot. Then verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This phrase, live in harmony with one another, can be translated, think the same things towards one another. And so what Paul is trying to get at here is that you are to, you have to have a common mindset, he says, church in Rome. Think the same way. And think the same way about this specific thing. Think the same way and the right way about pride. That's why he says, do not be haughty. The CSB says, do not be proud. Look at verse 3, back earlier in the chapter. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We are not the best thing since sliced bread. But think with sober 
judgment. We have to think the right way about ourselves. See, what the Bible is telling us is that pride does something to us. Pride does things to us. One, it makes us think that certain people are beneath us. Pride will make you think that certain people are beneath you because of their ethnicity, because of their social status, because of their economic status, because of their physical challenges. This kind of thinking, let me say this very clearly, is evil. Any kind of thinking like this has no place in the church. It's satanic. It's wicked. It's evil. And the Bible makes that extremely clear. And the person who gets trapped in this kind of thinking in the church, what, they're, what they are is they're blind to the fact that diversity is God's plan for his church. That is the plan. Anthony Carter, in this book called Black and Reform, Seeing God's Experience in the African-American Christian Experience. I'm showing you this book because this book is worth everybody's time. Can, when we think about what's going on in our culture today, this is, you should read this immediately. It gives you history. It gives you the way to think about the gospel when it comes to racism, all of these things. But he says this. On the day of Pentecost, this is Acts 2, we are given a glimpse of the diversity that the Spirit came to unite. Those gathered at Pentecost were from a cross-section of peoples. You see that? Across all different. A cross-section of people, each having a unique language and cultural identity. This text reveals an undeniable diversity and intention of God to build a church of various cultures, cultural and racial backgrounds. Diversity is the plan. We are all different, but we're all brought together by God. Do you know why? To love each other, to live in harmony, and think about how important that is right now, that the church would do this. In a culture that's so divided, you are here. This is the group you belong to, and this is the group you belong to. And the Bible says we are one in Christ. Not all the same. Unity without uniformity. I can't say that enough. But given an opportunity to love someone who is different, because you know what? Why? We're all made in the image of God. And God says, I want you all together. And I want to give you the opportunity to display love, to display harmony to a culture that needs to see it. Pride makes us think people are beneath us. And pride also makes us think that we're always right. It's dangerous that way. That's why he says, never be wise in your own sight. It's this false idea that you always see it clear, that nobody sees it as well as you do. That is a dangerous spot to be in. Thinking that we know best always leads to bad decisions. We don't talk to anyone. We just do what we want. But we're, again, we're in a family. And we're brought together. The Bible says in the abundance of counselors, there is wisdom to help one another. And when we think that we are we see it clear. Nobody sees it as good as we do. We make bad decisions. And you know what happens? It hurts us. We hurt ourselves. And we hurt others. The person who loves genuinely is humble. God wants us to love each other genuinely. And this love 
has to flow from the love that we have experienced. Romans says, for while we are still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. All love must flow from this love, genuine love. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I was thinking about ending the sermon this way, I thought, I, I thought some people are going to be like, Mom, Marv, you said that already. Isn't that what you said in the first message? And I was a little bit worried. And then I realized, I shouldn't be worried. We need to hear that, we, that God has loved us and Jesus has died in our place, that the gospel is, we need to hear that all the time. We need regular reminders of it. Why? Because we forget. And so I shouldn't be worried. We need gospel reminders all the time. Yes, we are to love each other genuinely because we are family, but we're only family because of the gospel. We're only together because Jesus has brought us together. And so the gospel should never get old. And I'm sorry that as your pastor, I thought for a moment not to remind you of the gospel. Not to remind you of the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The gospel brings us together and it's the gospel that gives us the power to love each other. When we get tired, when it gets hard, when it's a struggle, what do we do? We go back to the gospel. I have been loved in an unconditional, crazy way. Crazy way. And now, my job, the way I glorify God, the way... I show the world that he is real is I love the people who are not like me. I love the people who are wearing me out this week. But they are family. And we are going to be together for eternity. Do you know that you are going to a place of love? That's what heaven is. Love unending. With the saints. All things made right going on forever and ever and ever. So, why don't we just get busy doing the thing right now? Loving each other. The gospel brings us together and the gospel gives us the ability to love each other. And God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are, you say it, come again. God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are Say it like you believe it. God wants us to love each other genuinely. I'm going to pray after this, I promise. Because we are family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together. God, thank you for the gospel reminder that I needed. Lord, that even though there is all kinds of sin, all kinds of struggle, you don't stop loving. You come at us with grace unending. Help us, Lord God, to walk in your love as we seek to love one another. God, thank you for Jesus Christ who died in our place. And Father, I pray for the person who isn't a Christian. 
who they, maybe they've heard the gospel before that we sinned against you and that we needed a rescue and that you sent your son to live for us and die in our place. I pray for that person who hasn't believed that, that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ to be saved and be changed. And Father, I pray for us who have believed the gospel, help us, give us the power by your spirit to walk in it. And I pray that as we commit to love each other, that our community here would only go deeper. Help us, Lord God. Thank you for your son. We pray this in his powerful name. We can pray, Lord God, because Jesus Christ has given us access to you. Thank you, Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.